You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Good morning, church. You know, I felt like during worship, y'all were like half awake or something, but then, uh, but then you, you came, came along with, Lord, with the Lord and such a beautiful thing, you know. I heard we ran out of coffee for service, so there's grace. You know, if you didn't have coffee or something, I apologize. But um, thank you so much for your patience with the, the parking lot. Um, super thankful for the trustee team and spearheading that whole effort. Let's give it up for the uh, trustee team. Dane, uh, Dan Kramer has done a ton for that project, uh, but Dave Thompson and Justin Maines, Joe McGovern, they've all done a phenomenal job uh, getting that big project done. You know, we had such a dry spring, and then uh, the one week we tore up our parking lot, it rained all week. So we just, it was supposed to be done by this morning, and y'all have to put up with golf carts again, which the kids love, but uh, it's a little extra hassle for you, for you all. So uh, thank you for being patient. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We are going to close the service by um, baptizing an individual in water, and we're so excited for that. Um, had water baptism's first service as well. It's so exciting to come alongside individuals as they profess faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah, not much better. Um, so this summer, we are going to be leaning into a theme uh, about our need for revival, our need for an encounter with the Lord, of which every generation and every individual needs at some point in their life. They need to know God for themselves in a fresh way. They need a personal encounter. You can't live off of your parents' encounter. You can't live off of prior generations' breakthroughs. You need that for yourself. It needs to be personal, and it needs to be fresh. And uh, I think there's been much that's, been, um, that's taken place in 2020 that has revealed our need for revival, for awakening, for a move of God in our midst. It's revealed the cracks and the, the lack in our soul. That's what's been brewing in my heart has been, been this posture of, Lord, pour out your spirit in a fresh way. Um, and so I've noticed as I've been going through specifically the Old Testament, I've seen this theme time and time again of a generation going their own way and with stubbornness in their heart, assuming they can do it on their own, and God bringing them to a crossroads, God bringing them to an invitation to say, hey, turn to me. I am what your heart is looking for. Will you worship me? Will you choose me? Every generation, you see that, and on a macro level, it gets kind of depressing, right? If you're making your way through the Old Testament, you're like, oh, man, they're very forgetful people. They're very stubborn people. Um, but on a micro level, and if we are humble enough to look ourselves in the mirror, we realize, wow, that is the goodness of God. That is the mercy of God, that he would give us an opportunity to come to a crossroads that says, wow, I need the Lord in a fresh way in my life. And so here, here are some questions that I will help just kind of get the ball rolling, grease the skids for us that can help uh, reveal our need for revival. Are we more amazed by the world around us than by the Lord? But then we need awakening. Have we reduced the word of God to an ancient book of morality rather than a personal living revelation of who God is? If so, then we need an awakening. Have we grown bored with worship 
then we need awakening. Would Jesus describe this house as a house of prayer? If not, then we need an awakening. Do our hearts burn with a vision for the church the way that Jesus sees it? Well, if not, then we need an awakening. Those are some piercing questions, but this is not meant to be an indictment. And this whole series all summer long is not meant to be an indictment. I believe it's an invitation. And I, as I see the rhythm of our city, you know, as uh, Alex was saying earlier, you know, 50% of our, our town leaves uh, for the summer. This becomes an opportunity for us as those that call Ames home 12 months out of the year to say, God, do a, an extra special work this summer. Do a, a preparatory work in our hearts in a fresh way that postures us for, positions us for what you want to do in the coming years. That's, that's my heart posture. So I believe every generation needs an encounter, and if you, an encounter with the Lord. And if you hang out with us enough, and Wednesday night, in fact, this was the theme, um, you'll hear us pray a lot for revival because emphatically we believe that revival is our need. Revival is the place from which we live, and it's also the place for which we cry out for more. Because you and I have been born again into new life. That is being revived, being brought from death to life. Your life has been brought into something, into this kingdom. But in that kingdom, you realize that you are living in the tension of here, but not yet. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here, is near. And so we, all, we constantly have this invitation for more. And so my heart cries and longs for more of the Lord every single day. Because what's at stake is this. If a generation chooses to forego the outpouring of the Spirit, the outpouring of, of a move of God in our midst, what we call that is either entitlement, which leads to apathy. It's like, well, yeah, Lord, we hear these stories of what God's done in the past. We hear these testimonies. That's great, and that's, that's ours, and uh, there's no more. There's no more breakthrough. You kind of make excuses for the promises that you read for why they don't happen today, and that was great for them. It leads to apathy, or it leads towards cynicism, which ultimately leads to rebellion. So it's either entitlement leading to apathy or cynicism leading to rebellion, and I, I say, Lord, I want, I want you. I want to have a posture of humility, which says, God, move in our midst. We want you to be preeminent, you to be the focus, you to receive all the glory for our lives. Um, so I believe that we have a wake-up call. I believe these last 16 months have been a wake-up call for us, and I want us to rouse quickly. It's so funny living in a house with six of us, all the different personalities, sleeping personalities that we have in our home. You know, some of our kids and adults, um, we, we rouse slowly in, into, this, into, this, uh, into the mornings, right? Uh, some of our kids, it's like we have to go to the room five, six times. Like, seriously, it is time to wake up. Some of them carrying them out of bed. One of our, one of our children, which was more like me when I was a kid, when we wake him up, he pops out of bed and he just, he's, he's like, he's there, he's awake. Like, he's like, what, am I, what have I missed? <laughs> He'll run off into the bathroom I, I kind of grew out of that somewhere. I used to do that when I was a kid, and I stopped doing that. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll get there. Some of us, we hit the snooze a lot, right? You don't have to confess. Um, 
Some, I've found this out. I, I heard this recently. I was talking to somebody. They said they despise the snooze button. Is there anybody that despises the snooze button? Like you feel like, yeah, okay, you feel like an utter failure if you press that snooze button. Um, that's a thing. You know, some people are loud and they're annoying in the morning. Some really like to ease into the morning. Um, all sorts of different personalities. But in the spiritual, I pray that we rouse quickly, that we wake up to the call of God. When he says, I'm looking for my bride, I'm looking for a people, a company of people that desire me and me alone, that our ears would perk up. We'd say, hey, Jesus, pick us. Like here in Ames, Iowa, pick us, Lord. That would be our heart posture. We wouldn't be hitting the snooze like, come back later, Lord, when it's a little more convenient. You know, when it fits into my life, into my schedule, we say, God, choose us. We are awake. We are ready. So God is calling for the church to wake up. I've been really meditating a lot on Ephesians chapter one and the, the vision that Paul gives of the church where he says, Jesus is the head, not you. I know you, you think your, your preferences and opinions are preeminent, but, but you're not the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. We're a part of a movement of churches called the Assemblies of God. Our superintendent is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Isn't that good news? Like we look to him. Not any organizational, institutional structures. No, we look to Jesus. He is our head. But he says, then the church is described as his body, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. So say that. Jesus is all. Jesus is all. all. He fills all in all. And that is his intention, his design, his purpose for the church. Is for he himself to fill us to the fullness. Him being all in all. When we gather, when we function, when we move, when we have our influence in this city, that people would see Jesus. They would just see Jesus. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 to kick this off. Um, and I'm going I'm to cruise through, the, through this. Um, th- there's so much in here, but... I believe this is going to set the stage for, for this summer as the Lord is giving this invitation to, uh, to the Israelites, to the children of Israel here. So the Lord has delivered them from Egypt. They've been in the wilderness. They're kind of waiting for their marching orders. As they know, they're looking towards the promised land. Um, but already they're, they're, they're messing some things up, you know, like we do. Like just because we encounter Jesus as Savior doesn't mean the trajectory is, is perfectly, um, you know, it's a, it's a path of ease. Of, of sunny skies and daffodils. Like there, is, there are obstacles, there are temptations, there are trials. And the children of Israel reveal this, um, this potential that lies before each one of us, the potential to wander, to second guess, to grow impatient with the things of God. And so God gives them this charge. He gives them this invitation in verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, And now, is, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And that's going to summarize the, the heart surgery that the Lord wants to do in his church to wake us up. He wants to stoke the fear of the Lord, an exaltation of walking in his ways, a love for him and a people that serve him with all of their heart, with all their soul. 
which is demonstrated through verse 13, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Verse 14, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. If the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. So verse 16, this is the invitation. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. He's talking to a stubborn people. If we'd be honest, sometimes we are stubborn. And so he's saying, I'm going for the heart. Not going for the, for the throat, he's going for the heart. <laughs> he's a good father that wants to trim off the hard exteriors of our heart, the places that we've allowed to, to harden and be, become resistant to his guidance and his correction and his leading. In verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Verse 19, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Verse 22, your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. The Lord is giving Israel a wake-up call. And he starts with the heart. So the Lord is starting with the heart as he's awakening his people to do these things, to fear him and to exalt his ways and to love him and to serve him with all that they are. And he starts with the heart. It's an issue oftentimes of stubbornness, of us assuming that we can do things on our own accord. Even though he wooed our hearts and delivered us from Egypt, you know, we were in slavery. In the book of Galatians, as he delivered us from that slavery, he redeemed us. That same language is used in the New Testament, that picture of God redeeming the Israelites from Egypt. It's, I'm not saying it's all just imagery. Like God's purposes for Israel still stand to, to this day, but it does become a foreshadowing of what he's going to do through the cross through his resurrection. Even uh, water baptism this morning is a picture of that deliverance from death to life, of slavery into the kingdom. But once we're in that kingdom, we'll realize that our heart is still susceptible to this stubbornness. And the Hebrew word that is oftentimes used throughout the story of Israel, that's translated stubborn in the version I'm reading this morning, is maybe more familiarly uh, recognized as stiff-necked, if you've heard that phrase in the Old Testament. You're a stiff-necked people, referring to like livestock trying to be herded or guided or, or corralled. They stiffen their necks in resistance. That's the imagery that, that God uses to get the people's attention. And I would say a pattern, and we'll get into this in the weeks to come as well, a pattern we see in the Israelites as a symptom of this issue of stubbornness in their hearts is fleshed out in the form of impatience. So that becomes even a red flag for you or for me in our life as we're living this life, that when we sense impatience with the Lord, there may be a root of stubbornness growing, of a hardness in our heart where we're distrusting his character, we're distrusting his timing with things. 
And you'll see for the Israelites, and we'll see this in, the, in future weeks as well, that when we, when we don't snuff out impatience, we make stupid decisions. Like we quickly take things into our own hands. You know the story in Exodus 30, I believe it's Exodus 30, with um, the golden calf story of you know, the people of Israel, they're getting tired of waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain. Like he is, he is communing with God, like getting the download from God himself, like meeting with the Lord. And they see like the, the greatness of God on the mountain. And yet they take things in their own hands out of impatience. And, and they, they then reap the, uh, the harvest of judgment because of their, their stubbornness of their own heart, fleshed out as impatience. You know, you want to grow in the Lord, a fruit of Holy Spirit is patience. I know you don't like to hear that, but that's, that's just a reality. So, um, so the Lord is after our hearts. So the Lord is awakening a people that fear him. I said that verse, verse 12 summarizes uh, the main call for this morning. The Lord is awakening a people that fear him. I know there's a lot of misunderstanding about uh, what it means to fear the Lord. That's mostly a breakdown in our just English language. We don't have great words always to, to translate from Hebrew into English, but to fear the Lord means to revere him, to reverence him, to wonder at his greatness. It means to, to be aware of his reality. That's what, that's what you can think of when you think of the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord being a positive thing. We embrace the fear of the Lord. We, we want to grow in the fear of the Lord. So the Lord is awakening a people that revere him as holy, as, as present. So I'll contrast that with oftentimes the, the stumbling block with, with talking about the fear of the Lord is, well, I thought we weren't supposed to fear God, like be afraid of him. Um, isn't he good? Isn't he kind? Like why, why are we supposed to be afraid of God? Well, um, God actually helps us, which he is so kind to do. If you turn, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, God actually distinguishes between being afraid of him and fearing him. In Exodus chapter 20, after he gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments, in verse 18, so Exodus 20, verse 18, it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off. So they were afraid and they trembled. They saw God in his greatness, like his terrifying greatness. Like, whoa, this is, we're not playing games here. This is really God. (laughs) It's not just an idea that Moses came up with. Like, no, he has manifested himself, demonstrated himself before our eyes. So we are afraid. And the result of, of being afraid of the Lord is we hide ourselves. We actually turn away. We we try to pretend like he won't see us. Like we try to pretend that he's not there. God doesn't see me. That is the, the expression or the uh, demonstration of being afraid of God. So verse, the, verse 19, and, Moses said, or, and, said, and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Like they were afraid. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So in the English language, there's two, two instances of the word fear used there, but in the Hebrew, those are two different words. Don't be afraid, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. So the line between being afraid 
and, and having a fear of the Lord is when we are afraid of God, we hide from him. We, you can think of Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve sin, what do they try to do? They try to hide from God. Like they're playing hide and seek with the Lord. Like Lord's, you know, just playing along with him. He's saying, hey, where are you, where, where are you guys? In the garden, like God doesn't know, you know, but that is the result of being afraid of God. We're trying to play games with him. We're trying to hide ourselves from him. We're fooling ourselves in that way. Where the fear of the Lord establishes in our hearts and minds and recognizes his reality, his nearness. And we actually embrace that. So think of how your life would be lived differently if you lived with a conscious awareness of his reality in your car, at the dinner table, doing the dishes. That is the fear of the Lord. And that's why the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom, is the beginning of all wisdom. So 1 John, so please don't be confused with that, that terminology. 1 John chapter 1 says, there is no fear in love. Like there's, there's, there's not compatible to love the Lord, experience his love, and be afraid of him. Like you're misunderstanding something if you're afraid of him. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfect, perfected in love. So that's being afraid of God. Where we are called to embrace the fear of the Lord. Where there is this reverence. And I believe there is a reverence returning to the church. And specifically in the West, I believe there is a reverence for the things of the Lord and his reality coming. And it has been coming. In fact, last Sunday, I mean, this Sunday as well. I mean, I just praise God for him moving in our midst. Um, but last Sunday, I really felt was a, a sacrificing of this a uh, casual Sunday um, gathering mentality that oftentimes we've embraced in the Western church. Like we, we've said that for years, there's no such thing as casual Christianity, but I also believe in the church in the West, like gone are the days of casual Sunday mornings where we stroll in just wanting to, you know, uh, say hi to or shake hands with our buddies, you know, be patted on the back and leave and, and go unchanged. No, we are coming with an expectation that we're meeting with God. Like there is this reverence, not being afraid of God, but this, this humbling reverence of the wonder and the awe of who God is, that we're coming together with, with God's people to meet with him. And we're gonna leave changed. We're gonna leave lit up by God because we're meeting with him. Every time we gather, it's a holy moment. And so, you know, there was those moments in the New Testament where Jesus came into the temple and he turned the tables. The, the core issue that he was going after was this complete lack of reverence for the things of God. I mean, they had turned God's house into this marketplace. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it explicitly, but how often in the Western church has it just become a marketplace? I mean, consumer Christianity, I'm declaring it dead. I'm declaring it dead in Ames. Consumer Christianity is a thing of the past. Like, it doesn't work. It's failed. It, it never did work. And we're just declaring that we're moving on from that. Like, there are not, not tra no transactions that need to take place. Like, we're in this together, centered around Jesus and him alone. He comes and meets with us in our midst, changes us, and sends us out into this world. So that is the returning of the, the fear of the Lord. There's an awakening of God's people and the fear of the Lord. Second is the Lord is awakening a people that exalt his ways. So we exalt his ways above our ways. You know, verse 15, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 15 says, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers 
or some translations say that the Lord uh, set your forefathers as the object of his love or the object of his affection and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. The Lord is establishing for Israel this reality that they are grafted into a story, that they are recipients of something, a grander story that God is writing. So he knows best for them. Verse 22, he says, you came into Egypt with 70 persons, you're leaving as numerous as the stars of the heavens. So this is what I want to tell you, Israel, you can trust me. My ways are higher than your ways. I chose you out of nothingness. So this is the reality of Christianity that we have to embrace. We cannot have Christianity without an affirmation of Christ as king. Christianity now says that we no longer rule over our lives. We no longer sit on the thrones of our hearts. Instead, we stepped off the throne when we professed Jesus as Savior. And King Jesus now sits on the throne. We're no longer king. Now our king is Jesus. I believe this is happening in our church I really do believe that's been happening in our church. It's been happening in the church at large. Human structures are falling. And the purity of Jesus' ways are being revealed over man's. I mean, Wednesday night was a testament to that. You know, we came into our prayer gathering on Wednesday night with just a theme that we're going to pray for revival. And God, in his goodness, orchestrated the night. It was beautiful. There was, there was never a lull in the moment. I mean, in the, in the hour that we prayed and gathered, or gathered and prayed. It was just like the Lord led the, led the evening. It was gorgeous. And, and I've been talking with the team about those moments more and more, wanting to give God space and trusting that his agenda is better than ours. We're exalting his ways over ours. I mean, wouldn't it make sense that this God of the universe that saved your soul would know best? Like his ways would actually be better than your ways. But we, we get so twisted and self-deceived to think, you know, I've become sophisticated. I've, I've figured it out. And now my ways are somehow higher than God's ways. His ways are truly higher than our ways. Verse 14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of God, or the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. So before you cling too tightly to your plan, to your agenda, to your way, you should just read verse 14 and verse 17. <laughs> he is the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. And you place it all before him. Thirdly, the Lord is awakening a people that love him. Do we love him? Do we truly love him? I just think of the, the repeated questioning of uh, Jesus to Peter. You know, when Peter needed an awakening, he needed his own awakening. He had received Holy Spirit at that point. You know, Jesus had already met with the disciples and said, receive Holy Spirit. And, but yet Peter was struggling with his, his own stubbornness in John 21. And, and Jesus repeats that question to him. Do you, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? No, really, do you love me? And so maybe the Lord is asking you that question. Do you love him today? Don't tell me, show me. Or even better, just show him that you love him. Allow your heart to grow more in love with, with Jesus today. 
And I love that song the worship team wrote. I mean, it's such a beautiful expression of what I feel like the Lord is awakening in us. Lord, we've come for that one purpose, to pour out our love on you. We have come to pour out our love on you, to give you glory. We're taking our eyes off ourselves, King Jesus. What happens is when we pour out our love on him, he actually gives us a greater capacity to love him. Like he reveals himself to us in a new way and we fall more in love with him. And so it becomes that, that cycle of pouring our love out on him. He pours out a capacity, a grace for us to love him more. Fourth is this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward before we do water baptism. But the Lord is awakening a people that serve him with everything that they are. And all of this is related. Like none of these are separate compartments or boxes. We fear him and grow in our awareness of his reality We exalt his ways above our ways. We grow to love him more and more. And the expression of all of that is a form of worship, which is called serving, serving him with everything that we are. Serving is not just for those that are pragmatic and practical and loving is for those that are like emotional and and right-brained or something. No, Serving him with everything that we are is a form of worship. And if we'll be honest, if we take an inventory of our lives, we, we can all understand that we all give ourselves to something. We all have a decision to make with our lives. What are we gonna give ourselves to? Look, look across the page to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13, where he talks about this very thing. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. Verse 15. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full. And this is what's at stake. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and you serve other gods and worship him, or worship them. We all have a decision to make. What are we gonna give ourselves to? What are we gonna serve? Like, what are we gonna allow our energy to be expended for? And the Lord is awakening a people that will serve him through and through, serve him with everything that they are. Like, they will obliterate the boxes that we put God in. That when we serve our parents, that we're serving them as unto Jesus. When we serve our kids, we're serving them as unto Jesus. When we serve our employers, we're serving them as unto Jesus. When we're doing the dishes, we are communing with God. That is what it means to serve the Lord in everything that you are. And the Lord is awakening a people that will serve him with everything that they are. If you'd all stand to your feet, I want us to respond to the Lord. The Lord is giving us an opportunity to deal with our own stubborn hearts this morning. Maybe you wouldn't describe yourself as stiff-necked. But to kick off this summer, I really, I want to set the stage and set the groundwork for us to respond wholeheartedly to the Lord and place our hearts before him, before the great physician and say, Lord, do surgery on my heart. Like remove, circumcise the foreskin of my heart, Lord, the hard exteriors that need to be cut away. Like do a work on my heart. The Holy Spirit and his tenderness and his kindness would come and reveal some areas and maybe in which we've been resistant. 
I was blessed to receive a, a new nephew in the last couple of weeks, Pastor Tony and Kayla's new addition, uh, baby Andrew. He's amazing. Such a handsome little dude. And, uh, but it's, you know, anytime I'm around a newborn now, I, I am reminded of my own four kids and their, uh, when they first got brought into this world. And, you know, the, like, there's nothing like the newborn stage. It is, it feels all consuming. It just turns your world upside down. You know, there's something so startling about a baby's cry, right? I mean, and I think God created it that way so we would respond to them. But it's like, like no one can, st- like everyone is unsettled right now because that baby is crying. And I was reminded of, of one of my kids who will, rename, uh, who will remain nameless um, just to respect them. But um, they were so stubborn as a baby, like the first six months of their life. It's just so like inconsolable. I wouldn't, I don't know if they're colic or not, if they were colic, but like just that form of baby, just so inconsolable. It's like, didn't matter what we did, lots of screaming. And I remember those moments where I would be holding the child and they would be like stiffening their back. Like they are, they've made a decision that they are going to resist nurturing and care and comfort. Anything I could offer them, they're going to resist it. They'd stiffen their back. And that's actually the picture that I think better translates to us since we're not people of agriculture. And so that, that stiff-necked imagery of the Old Testament refer, refers to livestock, which a lot of us don't know much about. At least I don't. And so this imagery helped to me. It's like, I believe much more relevantly for us, we're like that baby resisting the comfort, the nurture of our father. We don't want to trust him. We've, we've got it figured out. I just want to scream. Like, I, I don't want your help. I can help myself. Just leave me alone. And we stiffen our backs against God. Well, the Lord is breaking in this morning. He's revealing himself to you, saying, give me access. Like, relax yourself in my presence. Receive my goodness and my kindness. Receive my direction over your life. So if you'd place yourself in a position to receive from the Lord this morning and actually firstly respond to him before you can receive from him, respond to him this morning by giving him your heart in a fresh way. Lord, we can't help but recognize that there are shakings and rumblings happening on the earth And I've been sensing in my spirit that you are waking the church up. That you're calling for your bride to to wake up from her slumber and mature into all that you've called her to be. And so we're saying this morning, we're saying this summer, God, do a work in us marked by your presence, marked by your living reality in our midst that changes us forever. We place before you our hearts. We say, God, do heart surgery on us. We respond to your invitation for you to cut off the hard exteriors of our hearts. So there are some in this place that have been resistant to you and the implications of you being more of, of our lives. There are, there are some that have grown impatient with you. And you've got their attention this morning. We surrender to you all that we are. Our stubborn hearts give us grace this morning.
And I pray that you would awaken a people to fear you, to recognize your, your nearness and your, your reality in our midst. Secondly, that we would, that there would be a people here in Ames that would exalt your ways above our ways. Thirdly, you'd awaken a people that love you radically, love you more than anything. And fourthly, a people that serve you with everything they are in your mighty name. With every head bowed and eye closed, I, w- I want to give an opportunity for those in this place that need to get their lives right with the Lord, that need to receive Jesus as Savior. If you're here this morning and that's you and you say, Drew, I need to receive Christ as my Savior. I need to start a relationship with the Lord or maybe my relationship with God has grown cold and I need to start things anew. Would you raise your hand if that's you in this place? I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer of salvation. Awesome. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Awesome. So if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, you can pray this prayer. It's a matter of your heart. This is not a formula. And I am not the mediator between you and God. I'm simply giving the invitation and facilitating. And so pray a prayer like this. Lord, this morning I come to the end of myself. I recognize that I cannot clean up my life in my own power, that I cannot save myself. And actually in these moments when I sense your nearness, when I sense your reality, I shudder. I realize I got nothing to show. And so I place myself before you this morning fully. I place my faith in Jesus, in you, Jesus, as the the sacrifice needed to forgive me of my sins. And now, in fact, I receive Holy Spirit to come live inside of me. I receive adoption into your family. I now get to be a part of your kingdom, and I'm following you from this day forward, no turning back. Amen. Let's Let's, let's give a huge hand to those that prayed that prayer. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.